Welcome to On The Verge. This podcast will highlight interviews from entrepreneurs, musicians, and professional golfers. It will center around what tools they have used to help them reach their dreams, how they use golf to further their career, whether it be for escape from the rigors of their profession or to build more business, and how the communitas of wine, music, and golf enrich their lives. This is all about the enjoyment of life, rising above the struggles, and stretching past the best to be better every day. On The Verge. On The Verge is presented by Cure, cannabis used for research and education. The medical industry is steadfastly looking to help millions of patients that suffer from injuries related to repetitive motion, sports, trauma, and many other orthopedic injuries, as well as skin disorders, mental disorders, cancer, and osteoporosis, to name only a few of the other underlying conditions that billions suffer from each day. On average in this country, we have 10,000 people turning 65 every day. With the cost of pharmaceutical medicines increasing, patients deserve natural alternatives that are not only more cost-effective, but also safer for them and society. Cure is focused on providing natural alternatives to aid with current or previous medical conditions. Cure does this by providing a therapeutic properties of natural cannabinoid formulations for multiple uses, whether internally or externally. Ask your physical therapist or your primary care physician if cannabinoids are right for you. Or check out their website at www.curemich.com. Cure, cannabis used for research and education. On the Verge is also brought to you by Green Scene. Green Scene is a family-owned company recognized as the Sizzle Award winner for outdoor living in Williamson County. We design and construct areas to blend with the natural landscape of your yard. That can include outdoor spaces, gazebos, fire pits, outdoor kitchens, and yes, putting greens. We understand the importance of your home. That's why we never settle for anything but the best. Green Scene also provides multiple teams with professional landscape maintenance, irrigation, and outdoor lighting. Welcome to On The Verge. Today's special guest is, well, if you're a UT basketball fan, you know this gentleman very well. Uh, he was, in his senior year, he was the SEC Player of the Year from Pearl Cone High School mm-hmm. here in Nashville, now part of 104.5's 3HL, yes. plus he does live broadcast for TSU. <laughs> Ron Slay, Ron, how are you, buddy? I'm good, Virgil, man. Glad to be on. Thankful. Uh, that that, that um, special special guest, that was good. That was well, good right there. Well you're, well, you're very kind to come on. <laughs> you know, I, I was... I always like to ask that really interesting question right out of the gate because yep. I don't want to just like start with day one, right? Right. So you were one of the best players in the country. Yep. And you didn't make it to the NBA, mm-hmm. but you played all over Europe. Right. So the education you got wasn't the education you probably were expecting when you were 23. Yes. But when you look back on your experience of playing around the world, what is it that you love the most about it, and what are you the most appreciative of? What did I love the most about it? Um, playing around the world, it made me um, it made me grow socially, um, and I know that's probably hard for someone to believe, like. Because I'm a social butterfly, you know what you yeah. see on the court is what you get. Just not as much as as demonstrative as I am on the court, but off the court, man, I, I love to talk to people. But it it made me open up my eyes to 
more than what was just going on here in the state of Tennessee. Yeah. You know, um, being dropped into Istanbul, Turkey with no cell phone, no knowledge of the language, no knowledge of the culture, no knowledge of the religious beliefs, um, no knowledge of anything, like literally being dropped in a different world. And the only thing I'm looking forward to is seeing someone at the airport with my name on it, with my name on the card, like you need to come this way. So um, that was that was eye opening. Um, and then what a lot of people didn't know was I came back in the middle of my first year overseas because it was I wasn't getting paid for one. Um, mm. It was late, with, like three months late, which is a nightmare overseas. But you know, I just couldn't, I couldn't adjust. Yeah, right away. You know, um, coming from Tennessee, and you know, being at the the peak, like college basketball, especially at that time, was it was it. Like yeah. that, that was the thing. You know, especially going to Tennessee, they coming off a national championship in football, women's winning, like. This was it, you know, podiums, that was beautiful, you know, yeah. being able to have uh, lunch paid for and things of that nature, then having to adjust, you know, to automatically having to manage money and things of that nature. And uh, I, I wasn't with it, but I ended up going back and finishing up good. And, you know, as my career went on, um, I started to earn to learn that you got to be open to adjusting to the culture that you're in. Yeah. And. If you're open to that, they'll be open to you, you know, so you won't have that more that difficult time of trying to figure out where to go, trying to figure out what to eat, trying to figure out the language. You'll have people willing to help you if you have a welcoming mm-hmm. um, energy about yourself. So I, I think that was the the biggest thing that I learned. Um, and what was the second question? Or the it's most like, surprising? It was mostly it's just like a- after that. Mm-hmm. Piece of the things that you learned. What was the? What are you the most appreciative of? Mm, there you go. About the experience that you had that wasn't probably what you were expecting. Yeah. When you got out of UT. Um. That I wasn't expecting. It was more of the guys that you that you saw and you grew up watching that didn't go to the NBA, and you wonder like. Where are they? Like, what's going on? You run into them overseas. No kidding. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So when I get to, I get to Israel. This is my second stint. My my second stint in Europe. First year I went to Turkey. Second year I came back and did the D League, which is the G League now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then went to Israel that that following year. I get there, and I'm seeing guys like Will Solomon who played at Clemson, who's making tons of money over there playing in Israel with a team called Tel Aviv, which mm-hmm. is one of the biggest teams over there. Um, Maceo Bastion um, that played in Michigan. Um, the list goes on and on, but I'm looking at these guys like, man, how long y'all been over here? You know what I'm saying? And yeah. <clears throat> going out and talking to them, going to dinner and stuff with them, and they giving me the game and telling me, like, how you do this. And I'm like, man, so y'all been over some six years and this is what you can make and this is the way the teams you want to get on, the different leagues and everything. It's not just here. It's all over Europe, um, really all over the world. So and then uh, another time after that, I left in the middle of the year from Israel and went to Italy. In Italy, um, the, t- the first person I ran across was Randolph Childress, 
who was a great at Wake Forest, played in the NBA. Uh, Tim Duncan went in the best man in his wedding. Like, it's this is the guy. And yeah. I remember watching him. You know, it's, it's the iconic play of when they played North Carolina, he crossed Jeff McGinnis up. Looked at him, told him to come here and made the shot, drained it. That's iconic in, in, in NCAA history. So um, I'm talking to him, and that, that man right there, man, I owe so much to him um, because he was so open. And I was still – I was about 24 at the time, young, not hot-headed, but still being an American yeah. in Europe. And that's not the way it's done. Like, you're, you got to be a professional. you got to leave the college slay behind and be a professional. So he taught me a lot taught me a lot that's that's some of the things that you know um as far as and there's mo- many more guys that um Devin Book who plays for the Phoenix Suns now his dad was over there at the time uh, Melvin Booker mm-hmm. was playing on one of the biggest teams Joe Joseph Blair was his big man Joseph Bear played for Arizona when they were on the run with Mike Bibby and all those mm-hmm. guys so it's, it's just so many guys that you grew up watching and <clears throat> you never heard of like um one of my guys my mentor is Dante Jones he was over there at the time. You know, him and Lynn Greer that played the Temple. Lynn, they, they had went on and did like the Triple Cup, won the Italian League, Euro League, and another league. Um, wow. But Yeah, they were, they were just killing it. And just to know that all these guys, and it's a life over there. You know, like you can really start a, a life. Yeah. You know, and um, it's, NBA is not the end-all, be-all. And I think that was the biggest thing that, you know, it's, it's more games, it's more basketball out there. It's another life out there outside of if you don't make it to the NBA, then what? Yeah. You know, so that was, that was the biggest surprise for me. What do, you, um, what do you think is the biggest part of the game of professional basketball that people don't understand if they're just a spectator watching either on TV or they go to occasional game? The biggest part of the game for me, um, as you wouldn't understand, I would think, is it just the day-to-day grind that most people can't fathom? I, I, I think so. I think when you see the product on the floor for the game, you can't fathom what it was to go into that to get there. Mm-hmm. And that's from conditioning to injuries to rest um, to the game plan, watching film, studying your opponent, knowing what role you're going to play in it. Like that's seven things just right off the top that you don't get to see in that 48 minutes, if it was the NBA game, 40 minutes overseas. Yeah. Um, and you, you're doing all that, and you juggle that with your life. You know what I'm saying? Like, you come home, your, your 10-year-old don't understand, or your 5-year-old or your 2-year-old, they don't understand that this is this is a job I got to get ready to go do. So yeah. um, I think that's, that's one of the biggest things, you know, being grounded and having a, a partner – um, that can hold you down and and kind of juggle all that with you and know yeah. know they have a role that they need to play, um, and you continue to be able to be dad, but you also got to be this pro athlete that that's Superman. You just out there without a cape. Yeah, and I would imagine it's also difficult for some people mm-hmm. to understand because your profession is a game. Yeah, so you don't get you don't get the respect as a professional. Right. What are you talking about? You're playing basketball, <laughs> yeah, right? That's the first thing they say. Yeah, you don't get like and people. That's what I. Oh, that's what I was trying to allude to. Is I would imagine. Yeah. That that's one of the biggest things is people have no idea. Yeah. To be at the highest level mm-hmm. of anything, let alone professional basketball, mm-hmm. you're a businessman. Right. Right. You know, you got to prepare because yep. if you're not preparing to win, or you're preparing to fail. Yeah. 
And I think that that's really, that's what I've always wondered. Mm-hmm. And, and the opportunities that I've had to interview basketball players like right. you and Drew Maddox yeah. and a handful of others like that were almost where they yeah. wanted to be. Yeah. You know, I, then you get that, that gratefulness that you've, that you have from experiencing what you did mm-hmm. and how it's turned into who you are today. Right. And at the end of the day, man, it, what you dream about when you're 18 years old or 22 years old and where you are right now, sometimes they don't necessarily line up the way you thought they would, but yeah. man, it's, it's a heck of a ride you've been on. Oh man, it's, 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 it's one I would now, I always say I wouldn't trade it, but if I could trade my whole pro career, I would go do my four years of college again. Really? Cause there was nothing in the world like that. You know, I, yeah. I, I, I love that. Um, and you also get to hear guys like LeBron and Kobe and those guys talk about, what they missed out of their career, and they always say college. You know, um, you know, they get they were able to fast track and then get to the NBA, which is great, and they had great careers. But it's nothing like that brotherhood you create there either. You yeah. Know? So, um, but yeah, it's 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 different, man. It's 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 a lot that you gotta you gotta deal with. You know, and kind of um, compartmentalize each day. Yeah. You know, because it's so much that goes into that day, you know, and you almost do it by hours. That's that's one thing I will say. Athletics teaches you to kind of break things down and you get get tasks done to yeah. reach a, a bigger goal. But um it's so much, man, I um version that I could I could go into. Like being able to play fourteen years, um, I'm thankful for that. Um I think my upbringing, all of it prepared me for what I was able to go do overseas. Like I was, as a kid, I was moving around from never, we probably, I was stable all the way up to about eight or nine, you know, and, um, and that was when I was staying with my grandparents. I moved back to Nashville about that time with my mom here. And mm-hmm. um, she was still going to school and coaching and doing things like that at Tennessee State. And like we were from, I was at Haynes Middle School, fifth grade. Um, then went to Lachlan Middle School, sixth grade, seventh grade, went to East, um, which is East High School now, but it was yeah. middle school then. Yeah. East, then my eighth grade, I went to West End Middle School. Then uh, ninth through 11th, went to Pearl Cone. Then my senior year, went to Oak Hill. So my, while I'm traveling all those schools, I'm also traveling different neighborhoods because we're, we're living on different sides of the town, yeah. um, meeting new people. Um, and, and doing all of that. So I think all of that was, you look back on it and can say it's preparation for how I lived my life when I turned pro. You know, I was in Italy stable for eight years, but I was in different cities. Um, I played for the same team twice. So each year it was a different team because you're chasing the money, contracts, whatsoever yeah. it may be. Then you go to France, you go to Switzerland, you go to Portugal, you go to Spain, you go to uh, Venezuela. Um, the list goes on and on. Yeah. So being able to adjust, I look back on it and say, how do you adapt to each situation that you go to? Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing I was doing as a kid. You know, when you go to a different college, I mean, a different pro team, I just looked at it almost as like going to a different school. Yeah. You know, how do you adapt to these new kids? You know, you're on a different side of town. This ain't East Nashville. East Nashville different from West Nashville, the South Nashville, North Nashville. So you got to get used to all that, and you kind of got to be a chameleon. The one thing I thought, though, and I always bought into was I get to create a new identity. So that was my thing. Yeah. Uh, whatever I wasn't doing at this school and it didn't work, the next school, 
I'm gonna be somebody totally different. You know, I'm always myself, but at the same time, I can correct my wrongs yeah. that I thought that didn't go right. You know, yeah. and I, I, that, I think that was one of the biggest things too that taking and being able to go on and play a, a longer career. Yeah, helped. yeah. SEC basketball. Mm. You know, it's uh, it it doesn't have the panache, so to speak, of ACC basketball mm-hmm. or the Big East back in the '80s and early '90s with the you know the John Thompson Hoyas and mm-hmm. the Carnesecas and the Bayheim Syracuse. But at the end of the day, SEC basketball, especially when you were playing, right. was amazing. Right. And you mentioned that it's something you'd never give up. It was such a great, mm-hmm. a great experience. Talk to us the, about your your time at UT, the coaches that you played with, your favorite players, because you're right, man. College is the was the is the, really the probably the greatest time of your life because yeah. from that eighteen to twenty two, you you transplant yourself from wherever you are to that place. Mm-hmm. You know, UT is a big school, so mm-hmm. how many people go to? How many students? Like, 25, I think it was like yeah, it's about twenty five, thirty thousand. Yep. So you mm-hmm. got twenty five or thirty thousand people that are in the exact same place as you. They're trying to make as many friends as they possibly can. Right. They're trying to do as many cool and fun things in this little window of time where there's a little bit of forgiveness mm-hmm. in your mistakes and before you hit to the real world. <laughs> right. But you're just you're just having a blast. You yeah. get all these like-mindedness of the of your friends and mm-hmm. your, your your compadres, so to speak. Talk to us about your experience at UT and how awesome it was. Man, my experience was was fantastic, <laughs> um, and it was it was actually two rides. So it was my freshman sophomore year, and then my junior and senior year. You know, because we changed coaches. I, yeah. I started with Jerry Green, finished with Buzz Peterson. But coming up there on campus, I remember. Um, as soon as I get there, um, well, first of all, let me, let me say, let me say this. The year before my junior year, I go up to an orange and white game with John Henderson and Buck Fitzgerald. Buck Fitzgerald was already playing. So they were recruiting John. Coach Fitzgerald takes us up. Um, we're at the orange and white game. And before the players, we went to the dorm, hang out with some of the guys, you know, mm-hmm. and get ready. And I remember Al Wilson and Ray Knock Thompson walking into the dorm room and, it was about six of us in there, and they gave everybody five. You know what I mean? And it's like, hey man, y'all ready? We're gonna go on over to the, going over to the, um, to the field to kneeling, get ready for the game. And when Ray Knock and Al walked out, Al had something in my in his back pocket. We just said, let's say it was some apple juice. Yeah, had some apple juice in his back pocket, and I was like, I ain't. Man, you, you get ready to play a game, man. What what's that right there? You know, he was like, "Hey, young fellow, don't worry about this. I've been doing this a long time." <laughs> and I said, "Golly, man, this this where I want to be at, man. <laughs> like these dudes different, you know what I'm saying?" So they went on out there, played the game. So uh, immediately, I was hooked because uh, you know I, I was a huge football fan. Yeah. Um, so I knew exactly what Tennessee had. Um, followed them and and loved it. So, but to be there and a guy of his stature to come in and speak to everybody because i mean you hope people be like that yeah. but they're not necessarily always like that so yeah. that was big to me um so i was ready then i came back my senior year at oak hill we had a visit um a team visit and they were playing florida um and that's the year they beat florida going with the national championship and so forth and so on mm-hmm. but that's when they stormed the field also one at the end and that was chaos and I loved it. I was like, hey, man, I remember riding back on the van to Mouth of Wilson, Virginia. And I was I was awake the whole time. I told Coach Smith, hey, man, I'm coming. 
I'm coming. Like I, they can they can send the paperwork tomorrow. I'm ready to go, <laughs> especially if it's like that. So yeah. And then you you also got to see with the coaching change with Coach Green and the recruiting. Like they started to get all guys from Tennessee. So my freshman year, um, we had Charles Hathaway, who's from Nashville, mm-hmm. Isaiah Victor, who was from Hopkinsville. Um, Hopkinsville is just like Clarksville, like it's so close to here. Yeah. So I kind of keep that as Tennessee, even though it's Kentucky. Yeah. Vincent Yarborough, who was a McDonald's All-American. Hathaway was a McDonald's All-American. But Vincent was from Cleveland, Tennessee. His brother, Dale Baker, was there from Cleveland, Tennessee. Tony Harris was from Memphis, Tennessee, All-American. Then you had C.J. Black, who was there uh, from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Wow. Harris Walker was in my class from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Terrence Woods was from Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, Marcus Hayslip, Lewisburg, Tennessee. And then me from Nashville. Wow. So you had 10 guys on the team from Tennessee. You know, also with Vegas Davis, um, who was from Nevada, and John Higgins from Shaker Heights, Ohio. Mm-hmm. So that right there let me know, like, this This is different. I, I can, You can look around the nation and can't find 10 guys from one state that's all there and high-profile guys. Yeah. You know, so able to with, with being able to do that, I knew we had something special. And you look at exactly what the football team was doing, they were circling the state. Like, every top player from Tennessee was going to UT. Yeah. You know, you were able to go in to Clemson, I mean, South Carolinas and Georgias and get all the guys from Florida and whatever. But you were able to have it homegrown. So it meant something different. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't just we playing for the University of Tennessee, man. We playing for the state of Tennessee. Like, we grew up here. It yeah. means something. So that right there, initially, I, 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 bit, in, I, I bit the apple and it was on. I bit the orange, yeah. and it was on. So that is so cool. Yeah, it, it was, it, and that set the precedent for the rest of the, the rest of the year, for the rest of my time there. Um, I always thought we were supposed to get guys that were from Tennessee because we represented it differently. Mm-hmm. The Lady Vols, they were a big, um, big factor in the growth of, I believe, our our program as well as the football team. And it all trickled down, kind of what you see going on with Tennessee right now. Yeah. You know, baseball, basketball, football, you know, the energy all carries around to each each uh, program during the season. So sure. that was that was my thing, man. And, and so many different people along that journey um, that, that kind of played in my, my maturation, you know, from Coach Summit, you know, passing her in the hallway, being scared to say a thing to her, like <laughs> – this was, I mean, it's like, and I always say, it's certain people, when they walk in the room, they have a glow about them. you like, you don't know who they are, what they are, what they're about, but it's just an a, a aura that mm-hmm. they carry with them. Coach Summon and Coach Fulmer did that. Interesting. Like, anytime. I don't care if it's, like, <laughs> in, the, in the cafeteria. Like, if they walk in, you kind of be like, oh, okay, man, oh. Sit up a little bit. That's, that's coach, man. You know, and and that was that was important. You know, that was important for them to be leading the program. Coach uh, Coach Dickey as the AD, like that was that was big time. You know, um, so I think all of that, all of that played a part in the way you represented Tennessee, and that's one of the things, man. I take pride. I'm loyal to a fault. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a ride with them, and it was it was beautiful to be able to say I'm riding with Tennessee. During that era, sure. Yeah. I've not really been in in the company of somebody that knew Pat Summit mm. well. 
Tell me the most impactful or important story that you'd love to pass on about how great she was. Um, <laughs> let me see. <laughs> it's plenty. The one that I, um, the one that I, it's two. So in the summertime, like this, during the dead mm-hmm. period, um, you know, you, you're able to go away from school and go home and do whatever you may do and then mm-hmm. come back, you know. But at this time, a lot of, a lot of players were staying up there, you know, grinding. And, you know, wasn't no, no um, students up there, really. It was just all the athletes. And you kind of created bonds, different bonds with people. So, um, and it was the same for the coaches. Yeah. Like, they really had an open policy, open-door policy. You can go in there and talk to them. So I remember going in one time, I was walking with um, Ashley Robinson, who played there, and Tasha Butts, and Tamika Ketchens was in there. So I walk in the office, in the uh, women's basketball office, and when I'm in there, um, I say what's up to everybody. And I was like, man, what y'all about to do? Let's go get some lunch. It's like, we got to meet with Coach. I was like, man, I want to holler at Coach. You know, I had never been able to talk one-on-one with her. So I'm like, I want to holler at Coach. And, of course, she got to know who I am, you know, because mm-hmm. that's just who she is. She knows everybody. But I don't know this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she just need to know her players. So when she came out to meet her, um, her players, you know, she she was speaking to me. She was like, hey, hey, Slay, how you doing? You know what I mean? Are you preparing for this season? And she was just dropping knowledge on me. And I was like, I'm kind of in awe, like, Yes, ma'am. I'm 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 about to go prepare if I'm not. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I'm gonna get it right. That was one instance. That was just um um her 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 acknowledging who I was and what I was trying to do. And you know, even though she had her own program to deal with, like still to take the time out to talk to me, like I'm one of her players. That was pretty cool. That's awesome. And then um going into my junior year, no, going into my senior year, coming off my ACL, uh, we were kind of we didn't have the recruiting. We didn't have the, the the five star guys on our roster going into my senior like we had in my freshman year when we were all coming in. Mm-hmm. So I was struggling trying to figure out the the mental part of the game. You know, the how do you prepare for to carry this load and it's just different. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And she's had players to do that where Shamika Holesclaw, Tamika Ketchens, like the list goes on and on. So I felt she knew how to prepare those those players to to carry that upcoming season. So I was passing in the hallway, and I said, hey, coach, tell me one thing about the game that I can carry with me and I'll never forget. She said, I always know this. The basketball game is made on runs. Every game, regardless of what's going on, every game is made on runs, and it's how quick you counter those runs and you stay on your run, which – That'll get you through the game. That'll let you know how it's going to go. You can control that, you know. So I was like, darn. So it didn't make sense at first. But then when I got into the season, we started doing exhibition games. It was just like, let's play for every four minutes because you get a media timeout. So I was like, if we can just control three minutes of this four minutes, we're going to be all right. You know, and then another team would get on the run, and I was able to channel that and kind of, hey, y'all, let's just stop their run, and then we'll worry about getting on our own run and then continuing that. So that was one of the biggest things, man, to know that, hmm. you know, that you can break the game down like that. And that's why, I, honestly, I was able to go in and make goals and break down the season the way I was to have a season like I did my senior year, yeah. and I think it all came from that. 
That's awesome. Yep. Well, you also, like, at the end of your college career, basketball itself was transitioning. Right. It was moving from a post-center game yes. to a perimeter and, like, like slashing mm-hmm. um, style of game. Now, obviously, you know, there was, there, for every Larry Bird and Reggie Miller and Mark Price that shot threes in the yep. NBA, there's a hundred seven-footers that posted <laughs> up in the paint. And literally Shaq is, by, by what I think, Shaq's the last postman that there was ever really yes. postman. Yes. And the game radically changed probably his last year at the Lakers. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, like, Shaq became not really that important. Right. The game was radically changed. Right. And then it, the volume got cranked up with Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. When you think about how the game has changed, and of course now you're not only are you a former player, right. but now you're you talk for three hours mm-hmm. on 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 radio. You right. announce basketball at TSU. Right. You know, what is it that you you like about the new style of the game? Do you feel like everything has its cycle? And we're going to head back mm-hmm. to a post centered game. What do you What do you feel about where basketball's going? Man, I I mean, not to be a dinosaur, <laughs> you got to kind of love the the evolution of it um because you're you're now allowing guys regardless of size to be able to play like a guard or play like a big you know yeah. um and when when we say bigs now we're talking about guys that are probably labeled as a power forward or a small forward a guy that can get out on the wing and control his uh his mismatch whether it's mm. a bigger guy smaller guy um but i think it's cool where it is um do i think it ever come back around and I think everything repeats itself it's difficult to say it will in this situation yeah I think man it's because if you get to that point you got to think you're slowing the game back down because when you throw it in the post to a big guy um the game kind of stops and it's centered on those two um the defender and the guy that has the ball and everybody else is kind of watching around you may have a little movement on the weak side but it's really those two yeah and you choose as a a defense if you want to get that ball out of his hands you go double or you want to just trust the guy guarding him which means you also watching so the game stops and you just it's four or five dribbles and you get into it so with the way the game is exciting and the fans are biting to especially kids um, with the pick and roll and the three point shots and all that, it's gonna be difficult to say the game will go back that way, man. It's it's so much more space. Yeah. Um, so now if you're guarding me and I beat you at the three point line, everybody's around the perimeter, so it's nobody there. So now you get to see the highlight dunk, and you know maybe somebody step up, you get a highlight pass. Mm-hmm. And in the past, it that's not how it was. So you had a powerful in the center. Two guys guarding them. So now you got four guys in the paint. So when you beat that guy, it's for other people you got to worry about in the paint you got to navigate through. So that's where the mid-range came in. Yeah. So you had to shoot the mid-range because you can't go all the way in there. It's too packed. Yep. So people say, what happened to the mid-range jumper? That's what happened to it. The floor is open, though. If I shoot it, if you can get all the way to the cup, go yep. take the high percentage layup. So yeah. I think that's 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 different. Um, positionless basketball with guys um, – at a seven foot, like you know, it's starting starting with guys like Dirk, and you know, going on to Pazingas, and now you got Giannis onto the Kumpo uh, taking the ball and going full speed. Joel Embiid, who was in MVP race this year, KD, yeah, KD, like it's it's just different, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's different. It's hard to say it'll go back that way because so many people, um, 
you can you can look at it and you don't have to be the strongest guy. You don't have to be the most athletic guy yeah. to be able to shoot the ball. You just need a lot of reps up, get your mechanics together, know how to get your shot off. Then we'll worry about the rest later. Yeah. You know, so don't be say it's hard for it to go back, man. I would imagine the only thing that would bring it back is if they chose to move the three point line back to where the the percentage is thirty three point three percent. Yep. If they brought that number back, now of course that makes the floor even bigger. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. But now it's not. It's not as prevalent. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they'd ever think about doing that. Yeah. But in some ways, I just can't see it. You're yeah. right. The actually the excitement level. But guess what though, Verge? I think you want to it because this is what I was saying going into the playoffs. Uh, we're watching the playoffs. It was a point. Probably 99 after the lockout, somewhere around there. And I remember guys like Akeem Olajuwon shooting the trail of three. Patrick Ewan started to shoot the trail of three. Alonzo Mourning uh, was shooting it for the, when he was with the Charlotte Hornets. I'm like, the big man is able to shoot this shot. So all they did was what you said. They moved it back. So those big men stopped shooting that shot. The big men started going back down low again. Then you saw guys starting to work at the elbow a little bit more. Posting up at the elbow, working and running, kind of like the old UCLA cuts and things mm-hmm. of that nature. Um, so I, I'm all for it. I think you, it's going to be difficult to move the corners back. The corner yeah. always going to be relevant because you, you know, I doubt they widen the court. It's already a huge court. Um, yeah. But from the wings and the top of the key to move that back, I, I think that I think it'll work. I think it'll work, and I hope they do. I think it would be great for basketball. I do, too. Because it's starting to get very one-dimensional. Yes. You know? yes. And I think at the end of the day, that'll run its course, and that's when you'll start, you'll start to see some change. Yep. Yep, but, I believe but, so, too. But that Steph Curry boy. Whew, man, that, that's the real deal right there, <laughs> it's man. It's different. I mean, I, was, I had a conversation with somebody. I can't remember where it was. I think it was maybe with Drew. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about, like, the people that have literally changed basketball. I forgot about George Mike, and I didn't even think mm-hmm. about it. But I was thinking, Wilt changed the game? Yes. Big time. Yep. Maybe Oscar Robertson. Yep. And he and, big guard. Yep. yep. And then, then it's Kareem. Yes. And then MJ. Mm-hmm. And then I said, do you think Bird and Magic changed the game, or were they just so good at that particular game that we remember, but they didn't change the game? I thought Shaq changed the game. Yeah. And then Steph Curry changed the game. I don't think LeBron changed the game. Yeah. LeBron is just like what happened if Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson had a kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we just dropped an alien in there. <laughs> now you go get it. Yeah. I think when you look at guys like Magic, um, he's um, – so you talk about Jordan changing the game. You look at him, he was Dr. J reincarnated and then taking it to a different level. Yeah. Um, you don't say Kobe because he mirrored Mike. You yeah. know, um, Jordan – changed it you know he took what dr j was doing and changed it magic took what oscar was doing and kind of emulated it um just he brought that fast that fast break he brought the flair oh man that was it that was it so you look at that part um i think you about right man like everybody else like what steph does to defenses and the way you teach defense is changing the game because now no longer can i say Okay, we're going to do five on five, and I'm going to throw the ball up. You box out. Whoever gets the ball, you're on offense. So defense, turn, sprint back. When you say sprint back, you teach them to sprint back to the free throw line, three-point line, and build out. Or back 
even a couple of years ago, you run back to the paint first, protect the basket. Then you build out and guard your man. Now, if you run back against Steph Curry and anybody that you playing with him, you run to the paint, you're in trouble. If you run to the free throw line, you're in trouble. If you run to the three-point line now with him, you're in trouble. Yeah. So you gotta when you get to half court, you got to be turning and finding out where he is really before you even get to there because you might get a screen at half court that frees him up. Oh, yeah. And he one step over and he's shooting. So, yeah, I mean, he changes how you defend the game. He changes how offensively you run things to get them open. Like, you used to want to run under the basket to create the um, defense to shrink. You know, if you're an, off- you're an offensive guy, you run under the basket, make everybody pay attention, everybody comes in, then you pop out, and then you got more ISO. You can't do that now, man. You running, you got Golden State running things around the perimeter. Like, and I, that is wild. Like, it's nobody in the paint. Yeah. So that's how you're allowed to see the cuts. So you're bringing cuts back into the game, slices, things of that nature. But it's different, man. It really it's is. Different. It's different with him. Because I'm, I'm a believer, like, you know, Olajuwon was – I mean, it's hard for me to think of anybody that was more skilled at the oh. center position than Olajuwon. I mean, no question. Shaq had attributes. Yeah. But, man, he wasn't – Olajuwon took him to school yes. almost every time. yes. And, you know, and then you have, like, I always get in the, like, Olajuwon, Kareem, and Wilt are three players Mm -hmm. that don't ever get the, in my opinion, the right amount of publicity Mm -hmm. for their absolute sheer dominance. Right. Wilt, because probably it's a little bit past the the memory file. Right. But most people don't realize that he might have been the greatest athlete that's ever walked this planet. Without question. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even, I did some research. He's widely considered the greatest volleyball player ever. Yes. I'm like, Running really? track, yeah, right. everything. Yeah. There wasn't yeah, anything man. he couldn't do. Yeah, yeah. And 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 Olajuwon, mm-hmm. but I, I still in my mind, I just had this conversation this morning. There's nobody that is more underappreciated for his greatness than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah, it's to to have a move, man, that you could not stop. And then also on the other end, like what gets overlooked because of the sky hook is the way he could protect the rim. Yeah, you know, so he could he could play defense as well. His IQ for the game was was big. Um but you, you talk about guys like in my top ten, man, I, I've got four of those guys. I got Wilt, Shaq, um, Russell, and Chamberlain. And I got a king bringing it, locking the door at ten. Yeah. Um so and I, I don't think none of those guys can ever move. You know, I, I think when you talk about the game of basketball, you got pure dominance, you got the most athletic, you got the 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 best shot um in the game ever created. Um you got the, the best defender like they named the finals mvp trophy out to russell you know and yeah. then you got dream like you said who embodies all of that you know it's 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 different man those, yeah. those guys are different and another thing i was listening to uh an interview uh and i was thought it was interesting they said that the thing that makes michael jordan so interesting is he changed basketball from a team sport to an individual sport mm. Because before Jordan, it was the Celtics, yep, and they had a bunch of great players, right? And it was the Lakers, and they had a bunch of great players. Yep. And there's some Sixers and some Rockets mm-hmm. with the Moses Malone version of the Rockets, right? And Dr. J, and yep. that was Moses Malone too. Yep. <clears throat> so you, they were teams, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it was Jordan, yes. <laughs> and then after that, it was like Kobe and Shaq, yeah, and, and yeah. Then, then the the three headed monster yep. of you know Duncan Robinson, and mm-hmm. you know whether you think it's Ginobili or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, like. It became about the players. Yep. Do you think that's good for basketball, <clears throat> or do you think that it, it's it's not good for basketball? Um, I mean, I, it's who you ask. For me, I think it's good 
um, to a certain point because it teaches to me if you want to get to that level, you got to be really good. But at the same time, you got to understand who you are and what you're bringing to that team. Like, yeah. they got five or six guys in the NBA that are going to go out there and score 30. Like, we don't need you as a seventh man to come in. We got a guy to score 30. We don't need you. Like, if you score 30 through the floor of the game and him, him passing it to you, that's great. But we don't need two Jordans out there. Yeah. You know, so I think that's um, that's one because it helps guys kind of figure out the IQ of the game, like where to be, how to get your buckets, defense, um, everything that goes into it, how to get a guy open, how to move without the ball, can yeah. you be efficient? Because, um, you know, these stars, they're going to get to take 30 shots. You got seven shots, and you better go. You better make yeah. five of them. That's <laughs> you right. Know? So I, I think that's, that's one point. Um, but then on the opposite side of it, it kind of it gets jaded because you're you're teaching a game in college where you got to play a team game. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then to get to that next level, like you got a guy like Grant Williams who was a back-to-back SEC player of the year, All-American two-time, and then is the seventh or the eighth man on the Boston Celtics. Reason being because they got Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Yep. Now, if they didn't have those guys and it was like in the um, – the 80s, you know, um, when the ball was moving around and we're going to get out and we're going to get a lot of shots, everybody going to get to touch it, it would be different. You would see that same scoring and dominance that he had in college carry over to uh, what it is in the NBA, but yeah. you don't get to see that. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's in who you ask, you yeah. know, but I think I think it's fine. Like, I, I've always been cool with playing whatever role helps to win. You know, and, mm-hmm. and that's been fine with me. If I got to go out and score, if I got to rebound, I mean, like, one thing that happens, man, when you all come out that locker room, it's just you guys anyway. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And whoever the biggest star is, he know that this job doesn't get done without you, you know, being the 12th man or the 10th man, ninth yep. man, whatever it is. So as long as your peers understand, that's how, that's one thing I've always wanted to be judged off of is my peers. Like, the media and everything, all that's come and go. But coaches and peers – I take their word over everything because they know what's happening behind the scenes. They yeah. know what's happening. Are you taking care of your body? Are you getting proper rest? Are you working hard in practice? Can you deliver, you know, when it's not 20,000 in the stands? You know what I'm saying? Can you do that consistently? So mm-hmm. I think that's that's the thing for me. Interesting. You're you're now you're you're on the different side of the career now. You mm-hmm. you talk about it. Right. And I would imagine <clears throat> you probably feel like you've landed on something beautiful. Yeah. <clears throat> Cuz you yeah. I love the energy you bring to 3HL. Mm-hmm. The passion that – and you, you even cleared it up for me. Your passion for Tennessee yeah. is so evident when you're on the radio. Mm-hmm. And it's an important piece to radio because they can't see you. Right. But they can feel you. Right. 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 How did you – how has that profession impacted your heart and your soul to keep you kind of involved in something that you can't do yeah. at the highest level anymore, but you feel like you can, you can still contribute both <clears throat> to the game, right? To the to the younger kids that right. are in it, and the all the people that are supporting the city and the in the state. Yeah, I, I think it's <clears throat> this. I, I I slipped into a gold man, like and, and being able to express it. Like I've always been a guy that wanted to talk trash and everything. So mm-hmm. I'm still able to do that. You know, um you just gotta analyze the game a little bit more while you're talking trash. But it's um it's been great, man. My 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 co host with me, Brent, daughter and um Don Davenport, they 
do a phenomenal job of letting me be myself. Yeah. You know, I think um, maybe Babs had a little bit of um, hesitancy at first um, before coming into it because I was a basketball guy. We're not in the basketball market necessarily. Yeah. Um, but once I got in there with her, she was like, like what you said, like, man, he loves Tennessee. He And I love the SEC, you know, yeah. um, and sports in general. So that made it easier. Brent, he already knew, the mayor knew what it was, you know, when I when I got in and locked in with him. But um, I got to give a quick shout-out to Ramon Foster for kind of um, my brother leaving the door cracked for me yeah. to be able to get in, you know, because I was going unnoticed. Um, I was doing uh, radio for about two years on the AM station and then one in Knoxville doing the sleigh ride. And nobody was noticing, and a uh, spot came open over there, and Ramon told him, why don't you try my brother out, you know. Well, yeah. he didn't even say my brother. He tried with Ron and uh, see what he can do. So that got me in. But it was something I was chasing after playing. Um, and it, it was to be around the game and yeah. be able to talk around the game, be able to teach the game, be able to connect it to the youth and try to give them back what I got, you know, yeah. coming up. So. And I thought it was going to be through coaching. You know, um, uh, Coach Bowers and them gave me a great opportunity at Innsworth to mm-hmm. be able to come over and coach and get my feet wet. And that was that was fun. Yeah. That was it. Like, that was, I was dead set on that. Like, I'm, I'm coaching. This is what it's going to be. You know, I was my, – my end game was to be able to coach at UT one day, assistant coach, whatever it may be. Um, and then the pandemic hit kind of – shook things up and kind of closed things off as far as coaches letting people come in and yeah. stuff. So um, I was able to do radio, you know, and um, with the podcast and just being on social media and talking to fans, mm-hmm. I was I was able to express myself and kind of still get that adrenaline rush, yeah. you know, and uh, that was that was fun. So it was it started with me going to Knoxville, then the station, M station in Franklin, now with 3HL. And I, it's, it's like it's like a game for me <laughs> when I go yeah. in there every day. You know, we go in, go in the green room, and then when it's time for us to go in, we go up about 2.55, and I, I go in everybody's room and fist bump them like, here we go, here we go. Now, you know, when the lights cut on, we on. Yeah. You know, and I feel like I'm putting the headband back on, and we active. Yep. So, um, man, it's, it's, it's been fun, man. It, and there's nothing like it being able to go to events and talk about events, kind of get fans rattled the same way oh, yeah. I could when I was playing. But then at the same time, being able to talk about the game and they understand that if you ask me, I'm going to talk through two lenses. I'm going to talk to my UT lens, then I'm going to put my analyst hat on and I'm going to talk about the game the right way also. So, yeah. And I, I'm glad that I'm able to be understood that way. And still be myself through these other fan bases as well. Yeah, I, I can tell you right now. I did radio. I, I was on one hundred four five for seventeen yeah. years. And the uh, the thing that I miss the most is the energy mm. when the when the music starts at the beginning yeah. of the show. Yeah, uh, I mean, I just got goosebumps yeah. just thinking about it because <laughs> it's the only it's the that the live piece that mm-hmm. you can't mess up. Mm-hmm. This you know, I can record this if we we mess up, we'll just right. edit it out. Right. You can't edit out live radio. No, you can't. <laughs> so when you the can't. lights are on, man, that's like this this really cool feeling yep. about doing live radio. It was yes. so much fun. So now like I get my my fix by doing these two there podcasts and then being able to come on with, with you guys during the major championships and what have you. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about the boom boom room and, and what are you <laughs> what are you doing with your podcast and where do you want that to end up? Um, man, I would hope the Boom Boom Room, first of all, where it would end up, I, sky's the limit. You know, I just wanted to take off and run with it. I wanted it to be a home for 
um, everyone, not just players, but anyone to come that's associated with sports, love sports, come and tell their story, whether it be from lawyers and doctors to the normal street guy, the the the, the postal worker. Yeah. Everybody can get on the Boom Boom Room and talk about sports, and that'd be the common denominator in it. Um, it started my freshman year. You go through season. I mean, you go during the season. You go through different. Uh, it's a roller coaster ride. Yeah, go through different phases, and you're always looking for something to to latch on to, to motivate and carry you. You know, you people um, talk about traditions, and they talk about um, weird little quirks that people have, and things that they hold on to. Man, it, it's it's all about sports. You know, and you got to have that thing. Whatever you can give give you an emotional edge, a mental edge, to stay focused, to keep winning, you don't want to change. So we hit a point in our season, my freshman year, we were rolling. I think we were undefeated coming out of the regular season, getting ready to go into SEC season. And my favorite movie at the time was Life. Um, Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence movie. Yeah, yeah they, uh, it's, it's, if you haven't seen it, man, go check it out, man. So <laughs> it was. Um, so they were they were wrongly accused of something and they had to go do. Um, jail time in Mississippi back in the day. So um, they Ray, Ray when they were in the dorm rooms, which was jail, but it was on the compound. Yeah. Um, they would they would lay down at night and they would to entertain each other. They would come up with stories in their heads. So Ray had something. He was from Brooklyn or Harlem. Yeah. And um, it was called Ray's Boom Boom Room. An imaginary place where he wanted to have a a club that you can go do whatever. And it was Ray's Boom Boom Room. So I took that and I took it to the court. So at practice, we always split up on the end. You got post guys on one end. You got the guards and the wings on the other end doing their individual work, getting better. And we were trying to liven it up. Like we had we had been together since beginning of June. So here we are going, getting ready to go into January. We need something to get going. Um and it's particularly I was focused on the on the post. Yeah. So we down there just going through the drills and you start to get in the season, and you go through the motion. So I'm like, man, you know what? I gotta think of something. So I said, all right, this is Slay's boom boom room. So we start going one on one and inside the paint, that's the boom boom room. So Love if it. you enter the paint, it's no hose bars. Anything go. <laughs> like, you know, and if you if you um if you think about the movie Life like while he's telling the story, you got different characters asking him, "Hey Ray, you got gambling in there?" And he'd be like, "You know we got gambling in there. You got girls in there. You know we got girls. You know we got. You know we got this." So, um, so when you came in, when you come in the boom boom room, anything goes. So you want to bang, you want to be finesse, whatever it is, we're gonna we're gonna accommodate you. So, um, we started going through it, and everybody was it was loving it, and everybody was laughing and getting hyped. But at the same time, it was intense. Yeah, because the two guys on the court. They going at it, but everybody else is like the peanut gallery around it. Like, oh man, you can't do this, you can't do that. So, um, it carried over. The next game, we get to the game, and I was always a six man. So when Coach Green subs me in the game, you know I'm bringing the energy, this, that, and the other. We were kind of down. I think we, I forgot who we opened up with, but we get the ball and we coming down in transition. This is when you had a guy at the trailer and you had a guy in the post trying to post up for position. Mm-hmm. So I run down. I'm the guy posting, and we're on the transition transition break. Everybody's coming down. Tony Harris got the ball. I seal in the paint, and I and I holler out instead of saying, "Hey, hey, ball!" 
I said, we're in the boom, boom room. Boom, boom room. I'm talking about on the court. <laughs> and everybody on the bench, you can hear them. Boom, boom room. Get it in there. So when he get it in there, I scored. And everybody said, oh, he didn't pay his fee. He didn't pay his fee. So if you don't pay your fee, you can't be in the boom, boom room. So you get taken advantage of. <laughs> so that was the defender. So it just carried on, man. And then after coming out of it, that's how it ended up being the podcast. I took it overseas with me. After I was like, man, that would be a cool name to have on the podcast. So that's why I always say you come in the boom, boom room. We lock the door. We're going to ask you whatever. You got to tell it truthfully. And it's only one way you can get out. That's if I let you out the boom, boom, boom. Yeah, so that. that's where it is, man. Well, we, I have selfishly asked a question because I went to Mississippi State, and you mentioned that you one of your good buddies is Dante mm-hmm. Jones. And Dante Jones, uh, for Mississippi State fans, is this, this thing that slips through your fingers. Mm-hmm. He was there for a very short amount of time. He led us to the greatest run that we've ever had. Well, I thought for sure he was destined to be an unbelievable mm. NBA player. He had an unbelievable shot. He could really, he could really go. Yes. Talk to us about Dante Jones mm-hmm. and like. There's a lot of BS yeah. out there. Yeah. And my under when I was with him in school. Yeah. I mean, it was only two semesters that he was there. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I found him to be a great guy. Yeah. But I'm. I, but not many people know Dante like you know. Talk to us about Dante Jones. Yeah, he's um. He's a guy, if you get close enough, you get to understand. Yeah. If not, then you have to watch it from the outside. And it's like, so once a story happens between me and you, if you're on the inside, somebody may get wind of it on the outside. So now the story trickles around, and it finally gets to somebody on the outside, and it's built up. You know, it it really was Dante had 10 points, and, you know, he he had a good game. He had a good game that day. Why it trickles around to the outside and gets to you is, man, Dante had 20 points, man. And, man, you should have seen him the night before, boy. He was drunk and this, that, like, you know what I'm saying? So you build it up. You know, you build it up. And that's something that he's always, as a player, never been able to control. But, like you said, if you get close enough to him, like, you seem like a great guy, and he is. He's Mm -hmm. a guy that he is what he is. He's loyal, genuine. Um, a guy that's not going to sugarcoat anything, um, going to give you his shirt off his back. But at the same time, he's going to be a guy that if you're riding with him, and I think they all embodied that on that Mississippi State team, Yeah, we're riding together. You know, it ain't, it ain't, we don't care what it is. Like, if we got to go over here and fight, we're going over to fight. If we got to go over here and take this test, we all going to go take the test. You know, so that's who he is, man. And um, I think it, he's from the inner city. He had trouble – following him and I and I'm saying trouble following him like by getting in trouble doing little stuff like not going to class while he was at Stratford, you know, and um mm-hmm. then choosing not to go to school and then all of a sudden you gotta go to JUCO route and then um he's kinda off the radar for a second, then he pops back on because he's all American and then you get to Mississippi State, you got the injuries and things of that nature. So it was always something following him where you could see the potential and there'll be blips and you'll be like, golly, man, we expect so much more out of him. But at the same time, he's giving you exactly what he got when he's on the court, you know, uh, yeah. in life in general. So it's it's funny, man, how it gets jaded by from person to person, yeah. you know, because stories go on and you never get to have them sit down. That's why I wanted them so bad on my show yeah. to be able to talk about it. And I think you get a better understanding of, 
what he had going on, like how strict his dad was and mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like <clears throat> what his mom meant to him and, you know, the the losses that he was having, you know, the friends that he was losing along yeah. the way um, that you really don't have to deal with as 14, 15, 16-year-old when you got this amount of talent, you know, and then you expect it to be right here, but you don't know what happens when you leave the school building, yeah. you know, or you leave the basketball court and things that he's dealing with. A lot of them self-inflicted, but – and he take responsibility for those, but – <clears throat> He's a guy, man, that I between him and Ron Mercer, um, them the two dudes, man, that I looked at, man, and tried to emulate. Yeah. You know, especially with the success they had. Uh, and, and I always said, man, I wanna if I could have the talent uh of Dante and the um longevity of Mercer <laughs> like combine that, man, I think you got the perfect person. So yeah. um when it comes to athletes. But man, it's it's always up for Dante like he would have to tell his story, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Like, and right. you, you got to listen to him, you know, because he's so much. He got so much knowledge; it's crazy, and um, it'll it'll leave you, it'll leave you stunned and surprised when you talk to him. But man, genuine guy, man. I always I call him um, bigger than me because every time you see me, he say better than me, um, and I call him bigger than me. So we like that's that's our, our connection. Oh, cool. You know what I'm saying? So I love that. It's. It's genuine, man. Great, one of the greatest dudes that, that I've known, man. One of the greatest that's, dudes. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that story. No doubt. I, I looked. I looked up to him in '95. Yeah, man, he, he was. He was big. big yeah. Time. That's how, that's how it was for me overseas. Like when I got over there, when I first got to Italy, all I was hearing was, you know, one of those cell phones and things like that. But they were like, our captain told us I was in the second division. He was in the first division. He was like, man, come over and watch. Um, come over and watch this championship game, an Italian Cup, with me tonight. I'm like, all right, cool, man. I go over there. And they own playing is he was playing for Naples, him and Lynn Greer. And um I'm watching the game. I'm like, man, dude, man, that man look familiar. Like you got the hip, that's why I wear the headband, the headband and mm-hmm. wristbands and like it's it's crazy. And we never knew it. Like it's just how paths cross. So I'm watching the game, I'm like, man, that look like and they keep saying Dante, Dante Jones. And I'm like, man, that look like Tay, man. And the whole time he killing, I'm like, Man, that's Dante. And I'm, I asked the captain, I'm like, is that Dante Jones from, from Nashville? I said, yeah, man, he this, that, and the other. Like, they think the world of him over here. I was like, what? Wow. And I never known he was over there, you know, because I'm on my own journey. You know, yeah. he's on the hill. So that was that was kind of crazy, man. Hmm. But I, I've never been to a place where um, he's been and he walks away from and people are saying anything bad about him. That's cool. It's always he lit it up. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Whether it's off the court or on the court. So, I love that. Yeah. Well, what has become the most impactful part of my show is the, the part on perseverance. And okay. I guess the reason why it's because we're coming out of a pandemic where a lot of people, most yeah. the vast majority of people are struggling. Yeah. You know, and I think that it's really important because most people don't, they think when they're struggling, they're the only person in the world that's struggling, but everybody's struggling. Mm-hmm. When you think back to the one thing in your life that you, persevered through but when you were going through it you weren't quite sure you were going to get through it but when you did it steeled your resolve that you knew you could take on anything what was that moment for you that that steeled your resolve that you could take on anything man um not getting drafted not getting drafted man it it put a it put a lump in my throat wow that I've never felt in my entire life like to have 
not the expectations of everybody else, but the expectations for yourself. Like you know what you've done, you know the work you've done put in, you know when you what you're hearing from the people in the higher ups. That's gonna be the people drafting you, and you like. I sit there and watch that draft at the Andrew Jackson Boys and Girls Club. We got a room full, um, probably about 35, 40 close friends and family. And I'm watching it in a room by myself about the size of here. And everybody else is out there in the gym and in the lobby and stuff. Um, so when I'm watching it, man, we go through the entire draft, go through the first round, get to the second round. Mind you, my agent's sitting there with me. Miami's calling. Chicago's calling. Like, it's, we right there. It's about to be done. I'm ready to go outside and be like, yeah, baby, we made it. Man, they finished the draft, and I sat there when it went off, and I'm like, dang, like, what do I say? You know what I'm saying? I'm always a guy that wears my emotions on my sleeves and mm-hmm. everything. And um, mind you, we got guys out there, and this is Brandon Wright, who's been a close friend of my family um, for a while, and he's out there. This is young Brandon. He's yeah. uh, probably ninth grade, you know, I'm about to be a phenom. And I got to go out there and talk to them, family and friends, and let them know that the journey's just beginning. You know what I'm saying? But that was the most difficult part. And it just wasn't that night. It was probably that whole year. It's like a hangover. That you got to get. Yeah. It just kept kept, weighing on you. Wow, man. So I go out there, have that conversation with everybody, leave, um, fired my agent. Um, next thing I was, um, got another agent. He was like, man, any teams you want to talk to? I'm like, nah, man, man, get get me out of here. Like sign me somewhere. So that's how I ended up in Turkey. Like I should have went somewhere else, but I was like, man, first contract, get me out the United States. I only want to be in the United States. Like get me away from here. So, um, I went with that. And while I was in Turkey, man, I was able to reflect a lot. Think about when you talk about perseverance, like how do you bounce back? You know, I immediately thought about my ACL. Um, to kids out there, man, I was one that, like, we, and this is no knock on my, my mom, my family, anything, but, man, we were put out of apartments. You know what I'm saying? We had to sleep in vans. You yeah. know, I was sleeping at the Boys and Girls Club, taking showers at the Boys and Girls Club. Um, so the success story that you hear, like like you said, you don't know what's going on behind it but if i was able to persevere through that and still go to school and um still be in good standing and everything and you know your water off you know the house burned up like caught on fire and yeah. we still got to go back and live in that house for three months you know what i'm saying like the the list goes on and on and if i, I look at it when i was in turkey if i was able to persevere through all that get to ut have a promising career think i'm about to leave my junior year tear my ACL, bounce back from that and have a great year my senior year, then bring me to the point of not getting drafted. I was like, that's been my life. That's been my whole life, personally. Yeah. So why change? What, what's going to change it now? You know what I'm saying? And there's going to be more to come. I can't see it yet, but there's going to be more to come. Like the transition from pro career 14 years to coming back, coming to the United States, and like, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it ain't about the money or anything like what stimulates you what what makes you get up every morning in the grind you ain't going to the gym no more you ain't got a schedule like yeah. what are you gonna do you know so that's one of the things that i i think that if it was one to point to that was one of the most difficult times 
to get through. And I always say, man, if I if I got like none of this, it's not much outside mm-hmm. of death or something that I I can look at and say, man, I I can't get through it because yeah. that was I can't even put in the words. I can imagine that. <laughs> I, feel I can mad. imagine. Like it was it was one of them, man. You got to laugh to keep from crying. Like yeah. This hurts. Because it's hard to believe. SEC yeah. player of the year. Yeah. And a senior. Right. So you were the Especially best player. At that time. Yeah, you're the best player mm-hmm. in the conference of if it's not the it's easily number two right. or three behind the right. ACC. Like easily number two probably. Yep. How many people could actually be better than you? So I feel your pain because I'm sitting <laughs> yeah. there thinking to myself, when I looked up and did some research that you weren't drafted, mm-hmm. I'm like, no, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> then I started to think, well, did you get injured in between? No. Like I, like no. I'm right. Like, Wow! Right, that sucks. That is, man. And you look at, it, especially at that time in '03, it had never been. If you go looking back at all the SEC players of the year, all of them all Americans, none of them were not drafted. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So I'm looking at all that at the same time, like, dang, man, like I've got to go. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And but then it makes you think, what's wrong with me? There you go. And you that's there's what I mean? that, so you then it introduces self doubt. Yep. And you know, maybe I'm not good. Right. Maybe. Maybe, right. Maybe maybe I'm not this. Maybe yep. I'm not that. Maybe I'm too much of this. Yep. Am I not a good teammate? Right. I, was, right. I thought I was a good teammate. Yeah. And all of a sudden, every single thing that you've held in your heart of who mm-hmm. you were, you start to doubt that it was any mm-hmm. damn good. Yep. Yep. And that's why, yep. you, that's why probably, even though you think maybe you shouldn't have, mm-hmm. I really think that you taking a stand for yourself yeah. and saying, I'm going to Istanbul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm going to do me right where somebody is interested in. Yep, Ron Slay. Yep, I really think that that actually is the key mm-hmm. because you valued yourself and yep. all of the things that you did to get to where you were, and other people didn't recognize the value. So you were going to make a stamp on your own life, right? And you weren't going to let somebody else dictate what you were going to enjoy the rest of your life. You're exactly right. And and I that, love that. Yeah, and that's what it made me stop doing. Because if I would have stayed here in the United States, I still would have been searching for answers. Yeah. I would have been looking for those, like, man, what did I not do? What is, what? But being over there, being by yourself, isolated, and all you got to your understanding is basketball. That, that's the only thing you can understand. That's the only thing that's common. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Every Like, that language is English. In basketball, when you get into a foreign country. Yeah. And so, to be able to check myself, I was able to come back with a different drive. Like, going to G League and, and go win the championship and going to something. And see, and then you start to you start to understand that, okay, in every situation that I go in, I'm going to just do whatever I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And whatever happens, it happens. Like, it ain't – I'd never walk away from a situation and be like, man, what did you not do? Yeah. I know I did everything, yeah. and I know I can stand here in front of everybody and say I did everything. Yep. You know, so it's it's that's part of it. Like after that, I went to the G League, won the championship. Nobody from the from that team got called up to the NBA. Went to summer league, made all NBA summer league team, second team. So that's out of all the teams, three hundred some of my players. You're top ten. Top ten. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I, this time, what different was different? I was able to walk away and say, man, you know what? I did what I was supposed to do. Like it. It ain't meant to be. It's something else out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm gone. I'll go do this. I'll come back next summer. Do it again. Yeah. So that, was, that it made it easier to understand, like, <laughs> how do you walk away from something, you know, knowing that you did your best and you may didn't get the answer that you wanted. But you can always go back and look and say, 
Did I check each box? Mm-hmm. Hell yeah, I checked each box. Yeah. And it's that simple. I think it's really important for kids to hear out there because, man, this I can't like literally the the world has changed so fast mm-hmm. since two thousand eight since the iPhone. Right. It's it's frightening. Yeah. And I think it's really important. Like you didn't fail, mm-hmm. but man, when you were going through it, it felt like you were failing. Oh, oh and, man. And to know there's a bunch of kids out here, man. We're at a um, mm-hmm. like a great school for basketball. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of kids that come here in ninth grade, think, man, I'm going, I'm going to go play. Yep. And, and that just doesn't pan out. Yep. And you look in the mirror like I'm a failure. Yeah. And man, it's just like it's just not the truth. Right. Man, you got to learn how to talk. That's one thing. You have to learn how to talk to yourself. You do. You do. And listen. And listen. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. And that is a, a gift that you learn probably right out of college in a very short window. Mm-hmm. Because when you're not protected by the institutions anymore, whether it's the grade school or college, right. it's just you. Yeah. And a micro amount of others. Yep. Exactly right. And the self-talk and self-belief in your, in your self-image and who you actually are. Mm-hmm. Man, that's such a huge thing. And I don't really think – I think people spend so much time promoting themselves and the greatest version of themselves. Yes. They forget that they're really just an, the average of all of the things that they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're exactly right. And it's really hard for kids to remember that they're more than just a basketball player. Right. They're right. more than just a football player. Right. Right. You know – they are a human that's getting the education, yes. that's a brother or sister, yep. and blah, 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 blah. And there's a lot more to life than just putting a ball in the hoop. There you go. But, man, you buy you, these, these kids buy into every sport, yes, right? Yes, they do. They go so in. Yep. And it becomes their life. Mm-hmm. And it really, it's disingenuine yeah. to their soul. Yeah. And when it doesn't pan out, it doesn't happen here in golf, yep. too, man. Yep. It's just like. There's kids that are like the number one player in the state in eighth grade, and by the mm-hmm. time they're a senior, they don't even start. Yeah, not even heard of really. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's hard for them to like imagine that who they were at fourteen and who they are at eighteen, not liked and loved anymore. Exactly What's going right. on? And and it has nothing to do with whether you're liked or loved. Exactly it right. Just has something to do. With, are you actually good enough at this level to keep going? Yep. And that's humbling. It is. It's humbling. It is. And you always got to ask yourself, man, before we wrap up, Virgil. Man, I I look back on it. And when you ask yourself, are you writing down your goals? I think it's so important to write down your goals and reach those goals. I remember somebody came to speak to us at Pearl Cone, my ninth grade year, and they made us write down what we wanted to be. And I'll never forget this. Mm-hmm. I said I wanted to be pro. I look back on it after my career. Was I able to be pro? Without qu- I was 14 years pro. Yep. What level of pro? That I was pro. In my sport, you know what I'm yep. saying? And that that right there. So you got to be able to listen to yourself and you got to be able to make sure you can check yourself in the mirror and say, are you really putting in the work to get to that point? You yep. know, you, you ain't shortcutting it. You know what I mean? It, it, and it's, it's going to happen. You're going to mm-hmm. have some shortcuts. But are you holding yourself true to what it takes to get to that level? Just look at the guys that get there. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Regardless if you know what Steph Curry is doing, you better go look at it and find out and re- do a deep dive into what it t- took to get there. Because he didn't come in being this all-star. It wasn't about him when he got to Golden State. It was about Monte Ellis. He was the guy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, go do your research on it and understand the work that he had to put in. And that's why you see guys, when they finally get to that mountaintop, whatever it is, whatever mountaintop it is, that's where the, that's where the tears of joy come from. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? So, be able to answer that question. Yeah, man. Be able to answer that. Final question for you. Mm-hmm. 
One of my, this is a pretty stock question because I think it's so important. One of my favorite followers or follows on social media is a guy's named Jason Silva. And he passed on this really, said the little two minute video. He's a spiritual guy and he's just like, man, in, in the Indian world, mm -hmm. everybody has three deaths. The first death is the day you find out you're going to die. Mm -hmm. The second death is the day you die. And the third time is the last time anybody ever mentions your name. Mm. And then he turns the camera on himself and says, what are you doing to extend that last life? And it really made me think, like, man, what am I doing past coaching golf, mm -hmm. writing books to him? What am I doing so that I'm making the biggest impact, not just for me right. but for my kids and right. my family and all the people that because i believe that family is not just your blood but the people that you grow to love Without in life question. right yep. what am i doing to extend that when you hear that what does that mean to you oh um what am i doing to extend that um what life am i living um socially spiritually um, my everyday life, waking up, like, what am I doing each day to extend that? And and I, I, I think it starts from when you wake up in the morning, whoever your spouse is, your kids are, whatever it may be, whoever's closest to you, the first encounter, I think it starts there. Mm -hmm. And I think that's 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 what I, I want to do. I want to, whoever it is that I first encounter that morning, start by being able to leave a mark on them that may trickle down to them and they carry out the next person they encounter is positive mm -hmm. and just create, create positive energy, you know, and um, a positive trend and trail, you know, that you can, that you're able to follow. So you lay back down that day. So when you walk up, when you walk back in the door and lay back down that night, um, you look back over and then, man, were you able to affect somebody? Were you able to make somebody smile? You know, were you able to change the course of somebody's somebody's life, whether it's a kid, an adult, a panhandler out there? Did you do anything to change? And if you did that, I think you embody something great, man. And you, you got to keep on pushing that way. And I yeah. think if everybody just does that to one person, whoever change they the world, it'll change the world, dude. And it seems like it's a wide thing because you're talking about changing the world, but you're changing that person who therefore goes out into the world and that person that you couldn't touch, they ran into. Yep. So now they encounter them. So that, that, the domino that's effect, man. Yeah, no question. I, I agree with you. And I just think that it's – I think people underestimate their ability to impact the world one person at mm -hmm. a time. And everybody wants to do this grandiose scale, massive impact. Mm -hmm. You know, it's obviously it's easy for Michael Jordan to make that li that last life live a long way. Right. He's very fortunate. Right. But then there's other people that aren't Michael Jordan and aren't yeah. famous that don't get a chance to perform in front of millions of people. Right. But they performed in front of one person that totally changed mm -hmm. their life, and it has the equal value in the spiritual world. Yeah. And I think that that's a, that's one of the big pieces for my this particular podcast. Yeah is the fact that I want people to know how important every single life is. Yeah. Because when I'm highlighting the greatness that, that you've brought to the table for all of us to mm -hmm. see, it did it, it you just didn't land there. Yeah. And you had you went through a lot of great things, but you also went through some difficult things. Yeah, of course. And those difficult things hardened you, t toughened you up and made you the greatest version of yourself mm -hmm. and to not be afraid of the struggle. Yeah. 
walk yeah. into the walk into the struggle. Yeah, because that's where the gold is. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I can't thank you enough for sharing your story, man. And uh, best of luck on the Boom Boom Room 3HL and yeah. everything. And man, I, I, I love you for for everything that you bring to the I table. Appreciate buddy. It. I appreciate it, buddy. Appreciate it, very much. Love you too, brother. Yeah. My Good man. Cure is focused on providing natural alternatives to aid with current or previous medical conditions. Cure does this by providing therapeutic properties of natural cannabinoid formulations for multiple uses, whether internally or externally. Ask your physical therapist or your primary care physician if cannabinoids are right for you, or check out their website, www.curemich.com. Cure. Cannabis used for research and education. On the Verge is produced by Chase Akers. If you've enjoyed the show, leave a five-star rating and write a review. Click subscribe to make sure that you don't miss a single episode.